Welcome to Building Astropad. I'm Matt Runge, co-founder and CEO at Astropad, and I'll be taking you behind the scenes at our company where we build software and hardware products for creative people. So if you're a creator interested in starting a business or creating your next big project, join us and let's learn together. Well, hi everyone, Matt here with Savannah. Hello again. Yeah, so we're wrapping up talking about Kickstarter today. We finished up our Kickstarter campaign. It finished October 30th mm-hmm. and in the end raised $400,000, which we'll talk more about today. So, you know, we've been doing these series of episodes talking about what we've been doing through the Kickstarter, what's working, what's not working. And so we really wanted to wrap things up today. So how are you feeling, Savannah, about the Kickstarter? Now that now that a couple of weeks passed since it ended. Yeah. Wow. It's been a journey, I'll say, because, (laughs) you know, there was leading up to the Kickstarter so much anticipation, adrenaline, like working long hours. And then when it launched, it was like relief just to have it out there. And then definitely like towards the end and, you know, after the Kickstarter ended, I was feeling you know, relief that it was over, definitely relieved. And also, if I'm being honest, like definitely feeling some burnout personally, just because it was, you know, we've been working towards the Kickstarter for so long. And now that it's over, it's like, oh, wow, what do we, what do we do now? I feel like I need to take like some time to reflect and like have a little bit of breathing room before I pick up another big project. But overall, I feel really relieved that it's over and I'm very happy with where it ended up. Like when I take a step back and think about raising $400,000 in 30 days, like that's pretty cool. That's definitely something to be proud of. Yeah. And what I keep bringing up now too is that you put our two Kickstarters together. We've raised over a million dollars now on Kickstarter because yeah, our first one was 645000 and this one was 400000 So that's just over a million. One million dollars raised on Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty cool. That's great. That's a lot of money. And especially when technically like you don't have a product, like you're raising money for a product that doesn't yet exist. I mean, of course, we're going to ship it in six months and we have like the technology, like pretty much ready to go almost, but it's hard to sell something that you can't put in people's hands immediately. It's like an extra hurdle. Yeah. Yeah. It's a glorified pre-order really and what it is. Yeah. Yeah. I've also been feeling burned out after it. I mean, we put so much energy into it, so much stuff, so much anxiety leading up to it. And now that it's over, so as a company, we're all we're all taking Thanksgiving week off as well. Just everybody some little bit of rest and relaxation just because I think a lot of us are feeling pretty pretty burned out right now. At least I am as well. And I know I I know you certainly are, as you said. So we get back to it and get get to shipping, shipping the Kickstarter next year. Yeah. And yeah, no, it is is great. I was I was happy with the four hundred thousand. I really wanted to cross that at the end there. We were close. We were like in the upper 300s. And I think it was in the last hour we squeaked across. <laughs> and I was like, yes, we crossed that crossed that number, 400,000. We barely made it, but we, we barely made it. Did. 
feels yeah good. totally arbitrary but funny how you just pick those milestones where you're just like no i want to make it to this yeah it's like a nice clean number yeah nice clean number yeah yeah and it i mean i've been feeling having this feeling like we're moving into the next phase or like a new phase of the company i mean i guess i've been around for over four years now so i've been I've seen like a few different phases of the company, but this this definitely feels different. It's like, okay, now we're on the cusp of really doubling our audience with the Windows market. And, you know, we've seen some validation for that now with the Kickstarter. And yeah, it feels exciting because it was, I think like the last phase of the company that we're moving out of was, I guess like a lower morale phase because things were really hard after, you know, getting Sherlocked with Apple and Sidecar. And then like that took a hit on our sales. And I think, yeah, it was, it's been a tough like year and a half, but I feel like we're on the other side of it. Like the light is at the end of the tunnel now. Do you feel that way? I do. It feels like we're starting to go downhill. Like we be climbed this we still have a ways to go we're still not done we need to ship it we need to ship all the windows products both lunar display for the kickstarter and and astropad for windows as well but more of the journey is behind us than in front of us now Mm -hmm. that feels good it feels good to see luna working well internally we haven't sent it out externally yet but it's working well seeing the kickstarter doing well and we also have a private beta of what we're calling project blue it's an early technology demo of Astropad on Windows and seeing that there's people out there on a private beta using it and being able to use it to successfully do work. So it's been a long time coming, right? Like it's it's been a lot of work. So it feels good to be getting to that point. We knowing that that soon we'll be on, on both Windows and Mac and it'll be great. It'll be great for the company. Yeah. So overall if I had to sum up how I'm feeling post Kickstarter, it would be relief and I'm also feeling tired. Yeah. I think that's fair, what that's fair. how I would sum it up. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, I hear you. I hear you. So we'll yeah, I'm gonna rest up next week, take the week off and and get get back to it after that. But we should go over some more of the Kickstarter stuff. A little bit more of what we learned. Not we went through a lot of it in our previous episode on the Kickstarter, what we learned in the first 24 hours of the Kickstarter. And we learned a ton there, but some of it we didn't go into that we should go on to today. So what else do you think people should know about yeah. Kickstarter and what did and didn't work for us? Yeah. So we we learned so much in the first 24 hours. And then after that, it was like, whoa, now we have 29 more days left in this Kickstarter. And there's only so much planning you can do for that because you learn so much in the beginning. So the middle of our campaign was really based on two strategies, newsletter sponsorships and paid ads. And I want to go over both of those today, starting with newsletters, because in general, I would say those did not perform like we expected them to. We had set up sponsorships with a number of brands that have audiences that we thought would resonate with Luna Display for Windows. And so we set up sponsorships with their newsletters and those just, yeah, we just didn't see the numbers that we were hoping to see. And 
I think what it all boils down to is that there's kind of like a stigma around pre-orders and Kickstarters. Like if you're sponsoring a newsletter and you want someone to back your, you know, buy your product, it's way easier if you're going to put a product in their hands immediately after they purchase it. But we're asking, we're not only introducing people to a new product and trying to educate them on what Luna Display does, but we're also asking them to give us their money and we're not going to give it to them for another six months. And that's just so hard to do in a newsletter sponsorship, like educate and then like sell the pre-order. And then there's like another hurdle too, which is that some people don't even know what Kickstarter is. And so you have to explain like crowdfunding to them. And so I think that's my biggest takeaway with newsletter sponsorships is that it's just really hard to do pre-orders and convince people of that in in an email campaign. Yeah. And the two areas we saw it did work is either people that already trusted us because they were already customers or they were already familiar with us had come across us earlier and you know had some time to kind of acquaint themselves with us, like our Windows list, or mailing lists that were focused on Kickstarter where people already understood, they're already used to the Kickstarter process, they get it, they're comfortable with it, they're comfortable backing projects on Kickstarter. Those kind of lists, you know, did did pretty well. We had a couple that went out that we were part of. But yeah, all those other general ones, as you're saying, yeah, we just very underwhelmed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like we did an email sponsorship with Backer Kit. They, they're like a crowdfunding service that's kind of tangential to Kickstarter. And we, I think we saw a good performance from that list as well as Jellop, that the ad agency that runs paid ads for crowdfunding campaigns. So those two companies have email lists that are curated of people who back Kickstarters regularly. So they're familiar with the process. They are you know, qualified early adopters and those people performed well. But yeah, like cold emailing, like introducing people to your brand for the first time, convincing them to pre-order, it's just so hard. And so if I could go back and prepare that differently, I would set up more sponsorships with those crowdfunding-based email lists. Or if I'm going to go like the route of, you know, non-crowdfunding lists, maybe I would do some sort of like brand placements leading up to the actual Kickstarter campaign, like start warming people up to your brand and your product before you ask them to buy. So yeah, I think that's, that was my biggest takeaway. It's crazy. You, you learn so much and, and you don't really have enough time to like switch your strategy during the Kickstarter campaign because it's, <laughs> I mean, you do your best like to be nimble and and take what you learn and adapt, but it goes by so fast that it almost makes me want to do like another Kickstarter campaign. <laughs> Are you ready for another? Is that what I'm hearing? No, not right, yet. New Kickstarter, let's go. Give me like <laughs> six months at least. I, I agree. But, I'm not ready for another one yet either. But it's like you <laughs> learn every time. You learn more every time. So... Yeah. Yeah, I agree. You do learn so much. And in hindsight, some of it seems like so obvious. 
too. You're like, oh yeah, of course. Why didn't why didn't we realize that, or why didn't we think of that, right? Yeah. Like, but we know, having sat in that seat, been in those shoes, that it isn't as simple as it seems. It's quite. It can be quite tricky. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It does seem like some of this stuff would be obvious, but I don't know. It's just you gotta. <laughs> You have to give yourself credit for trying, I guess. Oh, yeah. We learn by doing always. Absolutely. Oh, yes. Absolutely. No, because what you were saying about the newsletters to like send it out earlier and kind of nurture it and get them used to it, you know, that makes so much sense, right? But yeah, we we didn't know that. We didn't. So next time, next time. Yeah. So then the second thing is paid ads. So this was our other main strategy for, you know, the middle of the campaign for getting getting the word out because the beginning of the campaign was very much based on like press, getting covered in the press and also emailing our own internal email list. But then in the middle of the campaign, we were relying on paid ads. I mean, we started it right at the beginning, but we were relying on paid ads to sort of keep things moving throughout the campaign. So we outsourced our paid ads to a company called Jellop, which they were running Google and Facebook ads for us. Mm-hmm. They had some YouTube ads in there and some, oh, yeah, some Google did. ads in there that would show up on. I was advertised. I think I was on CNN and all of a sudden some of the ads started showing. Yeah. Display stuff. I was like, oh, there it is. There's Jellop. Yeah. And this company, they like specialize in paid social ads for crowdfunding campaigns in particular, like that's their bread and butter. And so that's why we decided to work with them. You have to like apply, right? Right. right. We didn't know until about a week before whether they were going to go ahead with us, but Mm -hmm. you have to send them your campaign. They take a look at it. They take a look at your video and they see if they like it and if they think it's a good fit for the the audiences they have. Yeah. And so they gave us a thumbs up to go ahead. So that was that was great because we were really banking on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I guess overall, we were happy with the performance. Yeah. Of ads. Yeah. They provided us with a bunch of analytics and dashboards to look at. And the average return on our ad spend was like 2.3 over those 30 days. So... We were, it was definitely worthwhile for us, but the, what that return looked like over the 30 days changed a lot. Like it was much higher in the beginning and then it kind of dropped off in the middle, which I think is pretty common, especially because there's, you know, at the beginning, there's like that newness of the campaign. And then at the end, there's the urgency. But in the beginning, it's sort of like a little bit, dull. Yeah, definitely. And I know Jellop was saying that too, that to expect the lowest ROAS in, in the middle of the campaign. Yeah. Because at, at the beginning it was like, I don't know, five, six, seven, like it was really high. And then. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, like the first day it was like seven. Yeah. Which is amazing. Mm-hmm. I mean, we normally don't see that on, even when we do not for Kickstarter, but do it for you know, just general Facebook ads. We never, we never see that high. Yeah. Yeah. So it was nice to outsource that and not have to do that ourselves because I mean, we're not paid ad experts on our team. And also Jellop is just so in tune with the crowdfunding community and 
and yeah, so it was it was nice to push that off onto them and have them manage it, which I would definitely do again for another crowdfunding campaign. I would work with them. And another part of running paid ads is that you get a lot of comments on the ads, which Matt, you were actually responsible for responding to comments. Yeah, they can get pretty salty in those Facebook comments there. Yeah, people get people get pretty worked up. You know, that something's wrong on the internet. I must correct it, even though often they were actually wrong. We try to politely correct them in the comments. And not, you know, not because we're going to change their minds. I knew that this person that posted the comment, you know, we're not going to change their mind. They're not going to back the project. But other people are going to see those comments when they see the ads. So I want to show that we have a good response that, no, we hadn't considered these other scenarios this person has pointed out. And here's here's why our product is better than what they're pointing out for X, Y, and Z reason, right? So it wasn't too bad though. You know, really I would like once a day check on it and respond to those comments. And that was a way to really keep the ROAS up and keep the ads going. That was something that Jop really pushed us to do. Yeah. So what were like the common comments that you were seeing? Were they technical questions or was it just trolls? Mostly like troll type stuff, just like pointing out competitors and just like lame doesn't do this. And then you'd reply and be like, actually it does. You just didn't read the, you know, like those sorts of things. The kind of stuff you see everywhere all over the internet or, you know, I already use this solution. Why bother? You know, and it was like, well, ours has these advantages. And, you know, there's in some cases what you have might work fine for you, but for other people, Lunar Display might be a better solution, right? And we pointed out and the nuance that that gets lost in, in internet comments. But I'd say a lot of it was, it was either two groups. It was either somebody asking a legitimate question, like, hey, does this work on Windows 10? Or does this work on Windows 8, right? Or somebody just being a troll. Those were really the two. Or actually, there was a third and somebody would just leave a generic comment like, oh, this is really cool. You know, and that was it. But yeah. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't too bad to manage. It really wasn't. Okay. So just we see it with running Facebook ads regularly too. If you're gonna run ads on social media, it's just like something you need to deal with. It's yeah, it brings out the worst in people. Yeah. We never see those kind of comments anywhere else. People are way more polite elsewhere. They might ask similar questions, but they're definitely saltier in the, in the Facebook comments. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. So yeah, it yeah, it wasn't bad though. And the other thing I was thinking of with Jellop too is why it makes so much sense to work with them on a Kickstarter campaign is they've developed these audiences of Kickstarter backers. They know who backs Kickstarters. And like we were just talking with the newsletters, right? Those newsletters didn't work because it went out to a lot of people that don't necessarily back projects on Kickstarter, you know, but Jellop has this very tailored group of audiences on Facebook and Google and email lists. And, you know, that's where they're able to get the the really good returns. So it was, yeah, it was good to work with them. And they definitely helped out the project a lot, especially in the middle where it really kept the momentum going. It kept us on a lot of the kind of like trending pages because we still had a good number of backers going in. So it allowed us to stay present on the Kickstarter site that I think without it, we might've dropped down. Yeah. And another thing that Jellop did for us is they, they implemented this survey that was automatically sent out to people who backed the project. Was it sent out to everyone or only people that had backed it through 
paid ads. It was everyone. It was everyone? It was sent out to everyone, yeah. Okay. So they sent out this survey and they collected like a ton of data for us. All sorts of data about like, you know, what devices people were backing our project on and what they were planning to use Luna Display for. They kind of gave them an open-ended, you know, place to to write to leave a a statement about why they're excited about Luna Display and they also asked about like how they heard how these people heard about our project so i thought this was some pretty interesting data that is good to share 28% of people found our project by simply browsing kickstarter so these are people who like generally you know spend a lot of time on the kickstarter platform and have backed other projects before. And that was 28% of of our backers. So good to know that like a pretty good chunk of people are going to be people that are, you know, not familiar with your product, but willing to just, you know, put their money on something that looks cool and support a new new project. Yeah, no, that's cool. I mean, that's the advantage of using Kickstarter right there. A third, we got probably a third new, 30% more customers just by being on the Kickstarter platform. 30 new people that probably didn't know about us before. Yeah. You know, and that's why we use Kickstarter versus like doing pre-orders on our own website. You know? Yeah, because we've considered that before, like running a pre-order campaign on our own, you know, like Shopify store, which I mean, has its advantages too, because you have more control over it, but but yeah, you miss out on this whole community of early adopters through through Kickstarter, which is a pretty unique, pretty cool community to take advantage of. And then, you know, looking at some of the other data that they collected. So 15% of people said that they found our project via email. And I'm guessing that's primarily our own email list. And then 17% of people found us through Facebook or other paid social ads. So those were the biggest categories. And then another 15% of people found us through Kickstarter backer updates, which I'm guessing what that means is, you know, we posted about Luna Display for Windows on our old, as a backer update on our old Kickstarter page. So our original Kickstarter page, we posted about our new campaign. And so it looks like we brought some people over from from there. Yeah. Yeah. No, that was great data that we otherwise wouldn't have had where people came from. And then also 10% of people saying that they that they found us through, you know, the media and like press, which I think we talked about this in our first or the last episode about how press was sort of like an uphill battle this time around. And it's it's because I think the press doesn't really want to cover a project that hasn't been validated yet. And yeah, I mean, I, this that definitely reflects in this data that, you know, we found way more people through paid ads and and just the Kickstarter platform itself than, than just through the general press. Last time, I think it was closer to 30% came from the press from our mm-hmm. first Kickstarter. So it just shows you how they're different. Yeah. So what else do you think was a big success on the campaign that that you'd do again? Yeah, some smaller things, but we were really good about staying on top of editing our FAQ. And this was all thanks to our support team where they were, you know, 
answering questions from like our Kickstarter inbox and like our general support inbox and taking that those insights and like those common questions and adding them to our public Kickstarter frequently asked questions. And, you know, staying on top of that, I think it just shows like reliability and responsiveness. And you do have, you know, you do have to sort of build your reputation with these new people that are backing your project. You know, you're not giving them a your product immediately. And so you have to build trust with them. And so yeah, that showed that you were taking their concerns seriously and like addressing them in a public space. And then along with that, you know, we put out a few backer updates during the campaign. I think we put out two or three. And again, it's just building trust and showing that you have a plan beyond the Kickstarter ending. You know, that's when the hard work really begins. And so you want to convince people that that, yeah, you're going to you're gonna put a product in their hands eventually. Yeah, no, I do think that worked really well. Support team did an awesome job keeping that yeah. stuff updated. And just as new questions would come up, they'd update it, cut down on the amount of support we had to do, and then converted more people, right? Because a, a lot of these questions, I'm sure, held people back from backing us. And yeah. And when they'd see an answer there, they'd be, oh, okay, yeah, they've already thought of these things. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to back this project. Seemed like they have their act together. So that, that was great. That was great. And we're even bringing that forward to other launches that we're going to do even outside of Kickstarter, it works so well. So mm -hmm. when we're going to do launching Astropad on Windows, we're going to do the same thing because it just worked so well and helped us so much and cutting down on support and getting customers answers right away. Yeah, it was so much smoother. And for our first Kickstarter campaign, like we didn't even know that there was an FAQ that we had to update. Like we didn't realize that until after we started the campaign. And this time around, like we had so many FAQ questions like lined up and ready to go. Yeah, it just seemed so much smoother and put together. So we'll definitely be doing that again. And then, you know, I just wanted to touch on like the end of the campaign and what that looked like because you know, it's kind of like those last few days are like the final push and like you really want to get a lot of momentum building up again. And this definitely didn't go as planned for us. You know, we had been planning to release our public beta for Astropad on Windows at the end of our Kickstarter campaign to, you know, go to the press again and tell them about, you know, this pretty much technology preview for our products on Windows. And it just didn't end up working out with our engineering timeline. And so we weren't able to rely on that. And, you know, that's okay. Like, I, I guess I'm still happy with how our Kickstarter ended. And I would rather our public beta be in a really solid space before you know, pushing it out publicly and getting a bunch of people to look at it. And so, yeah, it didn't, didn't go as planned, but I think if you don't have something like that lined up for the campaign, like the thing that you should fall back on is playing up that sense of like urgency for the end of your campaign. Like for us, we were emailing people saying like, this is your last chance to buy Luna at this big of a discount. Like we are never going to offer this big of a discount. So 
take advantage of it because you have 48 hours left or however however long was left in the campaign. And so you have to play up that urgency. And I think because of that, we did see, we did still see like an uptick at the end. Yeah, we definitely did. We definitely yeah. saw a very, very solid uptick. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, we wanted to have the Astropad public beta that we're calling Project Blue, but it didn't work out. And well, not only that, we also realized it was going to be far too complicated to do within such a short window. The original, original plan was that we were going to have this beta out months before the Kickstarter and use it to build a buzz and excitement. And then over time, we could kind of explain how this related to the Kickstarter. Mm -hmm. But we were running into the same problem that we talked about earlier with the newsletters where, okay, even if we push this public beta out, we have to explain, okay, how is Astropad related to Luna Display? We have to explain that you can use them together. And yes, you're backing Luna. Like it got really complicated really quickly. And it was like, this, this is not, even if we push it out, probably not going to convert that many people. So we just held back because the right decision. We've got Project Blue in private beta right now. It's going well. Mm-hmm. And we'll, you know, we'll get it out there in a public beta when we feel it's it's really ready and it's in a good spot for that. And totally the totally the right decision. I don't I don't regret that at all. Yeah. I think this all kind of goes back to like a bigger source of tension that we always feel in the company, which is like the engineering timelines versus the marketing timelines. And we could totally do a whole episode on this because it's really hard to get those lined up sometimes. And I mean, we're still figuring it out, but yeah, yeah, it's, it's it's hard. It's hard. I know even companies like Apple, they manage to pull it off, but there's a lot of people working a lot of long, long hours on the engineering side to make, make those deadlines. Mm. So it's, it's not always, so just one anecdote. I, so long time ago I worked on, it was the iPhoto team, now the photos app. And I was an intern there and previously they'd always have a Mac world in January. It was like this big event that Apple had at, and they would always announce like the new iPhoto and iMovie features. And so they had this hard deadline in January every year. And so what that meant is these projects were always behind the iPhoto and iMovie and whatever they were working on. So what would happen is every single year, all the engineers on those team teams would end up working through the whole, all the holidays, Christmas, New Year's, just be working insane hours, 12, 16 hour days to try to meet this deadline in January. And so they would pull it off, but they got so sick of it, they eventually changed the release date and they would no longer release in January because they just, mm. they burned everybody out too much. So, wow. Anyway, just random, random, random anecdote that that just reminded me of. Yeah. You know, wow. It's not just us. It's not just us having problems with it, but yeah, we could. <laughs> well, what we've been learning, I think what we learned through this Kickstarter is that sometimes you just have to like uncouple the marketing and the engineering timelines. And yeah, that's where we decided like, okay, we're not going to get this public beta out before the Kickstarter. So let's just do the Kickstarter because we had already pushed it back like by a year or something like that. And yeah, I think I think that worked well. You know, it didn't go as planned, but I, I think we're all happy with it. So... Yeah, we always improvise. Yeah, no, I, th- I think that goes to the bigger lesson too. Don't wait for the per- perfect circumstance. 
Yeah. Because you'll be waiting a very long time. It'll you never know. happen. It'll yeah. never happen. Yeah. You got to go forward with what you have. Got to, got to play the, the cards you have. Mm-hmm. That's what we've been learning to do. So now that we wrapped up the Kickstarter, we've moved everything over to pre-orders over to Shopify. So we've got that going. We've got not the same discount we've got going on on our on our Shopify store, but it's cool to get that up and running there. And then transitioned over to using BackerKit as well, which BackerKit is really good for importing from. You do have to pay for it, but it's been totally worth it for us mm-hmm. to import our campaign into BackerKit and really helps us get good surveys out and get everybody's address, make it easy to update people's addresses and make sure the address is correct. So it was it was a big win the last time I used it. And every time I bring it up, our distribution facility, the guy there is always like, please use backer kit, please use backer kit. Cause it makes their life so much easier with the addresses. So that's the, that's the other thing we've got going. Anything else with after the Kickstarter you can think of? No, I mean, it's always a little overwhelming because yeah, once the Kickstarter ends, it's like, okay, now there's actually still so much work to do, but you've only ever thought about like, you know, getting that Kickstarter out there. And so Yeah, I mean, we're definitely taking some time to rest up, but we still have a lot of work ahead of us. What's next on the horizon, Matt, for Astropad? Well, we want to get the Project Blue public beta out there so everybody can have their hands on that. That's a big one. Mm -hmm. And then we'll be seeding out early models of Luna Display to get out to testers. So that'll be happening. And then leading up to finally shipping them to everybody. And so then everybody can have AstroPad and Lunar Display on Windows. So that's going to be, it's going to be great. I'm looking forward to it because we've been working at that for a long time now. Yeah. And on the marketing side, like we have so much to learn about the Windows community now. It's almost like, okay, we just got, you know, thousands of new customers and we hardly know them. Like we need to learn, like, how are they going to use Luna? Like there's just so much market research to be done. And so, yeah, that's kind of what I see on the marketing side for the next few months, like getting to know those people and how how we can find more of them. Yep. Let's figure out how to tap into that Windows crowd. Oh, yeah. A lot of work to do there. But yeah, now time for us to rest up, get ready for the next chapter. Yes. Well, good talking to you, Savannah. Yes. Good to wrap this up finally. Yeah, yeah. All right. We'll take care now. All right. See ya.